And when I ran it by him, he said, I don't think this works. And I said, well, let's let's go through it. And for about six weeks, we went through it. He actually brought on a guy he had worked with who's a mathematical genius. And at about the sixth week, they said, holy moly, you've got something here. All right, great. So I'm happy to uh, be here this afternoon with Alan Kamrava, the CEO and founder at USO. And Alan, thanks very much for being here today. Appreciate you sharing your time. My pleasure. Great. So uh, let's jump right into it. Um, you know, you've you've founded this business. Uh, be great to hear a, a little bit about your background. It's very interesting, and. Uh, uh, sort of how that wound its way forward to actually creating this business. Yeah, my background is um, my background is interesting. Not as a kind of pat myself on the shoulder, it just is. Um, I'm I'm a board certified general surgeon. I'm also a board certified colorectal surgeon. I have two board certifications, but I also have a graduate business degree. Uh, my, but I've always been interested in the world of business. Uh, I actually, when I applied for business school. My personal statement wrote, you know, my dream has always been to be a surgeon, but I'm also keenly aware that a surgeon without a scalpel is a nobody, like he's basically futile. Um, And not just in the creation of the scalpel, but what does it take to get it from creation all the way to the point where it's sterilized and in the surgeon's hands, the entire operational chain that goes through it. And I think as physicians, we, I don't even think, physicians overall take all the credit for what it takes to keep people alive. And they don't understand that how much of what they do is completely predicated on a really hyper-functioning model that supports them. And I, I always was intrigued by that. Um, and it was something that drove me and I, I just found this a really interesting strategic puzzle. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's great. So um, how did that specifically lead to the founding of, of USO and share a little bit as to sort of how it, fits into the overall innovation landscape. Yeah, absolutely. So I finished up my colorectal fellowship at the University of Pennsylvania um, and then came back to LA, became teaching faculty at Cedar sinai Medical Center, started a practice, made it a multi-specialty practice. And ultimately, what's interesting in the world of insurance, the insurers have done a very good job of front-loading the burden of all the difficulties of financial payments onto the shoulders of the clinicians. Uh, the clinicians overall are very weak. They don't have a lobby short of a couple specialties. And so very frequently you'll, you'll hear physicians are frustrated with sides of medicine. Part of that frustration, and there's many parts, is patients put all the burden of the faults with payments a lot of times on the clinician's shoulders. Um, and so there was a part of me that was extremely frustrated. I, actually, at some point, I think it was in 2014 or 15, I just out of curiosity downloaded statistical population data off the CDC website onto a spreadsheet, and I just started playing with it. And a couple of things dawned on me as I started playing with this data. And the first one was that insurance is just one big crowdfund. Uh, you know, I had always thought of insurance as these big companies with massive money, and they are that. But we forget that really their thesis is just crowdfunding. Uh, and, and by and large, actually historically, they invented global crowdfunding. I think the first historical model of a global crowdfund was insurance. And as those pieces started to come, this idea of, is there a different way that we can do this that reinvents it? But what I wanted was 
how do we truly deal with the problems I was seeing in healthcare? And there are a lot. It's not just the insurance companies. And I and I, I really stress that. There's a lot of fraud at the provider level. There's a lot of fraud at the patient level. Um, but all of it is predicated on the way the, pay, the financial part of the reimbursements have incentivized each of the stakeholders to act. Uh, one of the worst actors is actually the hospitals. People don't um, take into consideration how much hospitals drive up the cost to care for this country. And so that puzzle that I wanted to solve really laid the foundation. Um, and we got very neck deep into how do we build this? How do we do it legally? And part of that came in how we ended up in PET was that PET was the right market to take a product like this and, and bring it to the world. And there's a lot to go in there, but I, don't, I could talk forever just if, I, if you don't, if I don't give you a nice. chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it, it, it's interesting because I think uh, you know, and I don't want to get too far off topic, but yeah. I, I think you know, you're someone who who in a sense comes from the industry, but in another sense does not, right? So, you know, there's always a discussion about sort of the gap with startups that have these great ideas, but they don't really understand the ins and outs of the industry. And 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 so, um, you know, they they create products for which there is no market or there's no partner to enable them to get it to market. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I don't know. Maybe maybe you could speak to that. I mean, did you build an advisory board to help you through yeah. this? Or? Yeah. So, so um, stop me if I go too far because there's so much that happened that I it literally could be uh, I could write a, it'll be a book one day hopefully right okay. that'd be nice but so stop me when I go too far but one so I played with the numbers and I was, it was one of those by golly moments um, and I had worked at, so in my business I said I enjoyed business I'd actually worked at Deloitte I, I I had done a lot in the business world before becoming a doctor as well and one of the things I did I did risk management consulting uh, for an international firm based in the East Coast and I called the founder he well I didn't call him I emailed him I said Jim he worked he's one of our he was our first advisor Jim Hutchin and I said Jim we haven't spoken in a while it's Alan it's been probably it was about 10 years I have this crazy idea uh, and I want to run it by you and this Jim Hutchin has been in the world of reinsurance his entire life he consults for the UN he teaches at universities he knows the world in and out and when I ran it by him, he said, I don't think this works. And I said, well, let's let's go through it. And for about six weeks, we went through it. He actually brought on a guy he had worked with who's a mathematical genius. And at about the sixth week, they said, holy moly, you've got something here. Right. Um, and so together, we, we started to build. And so Jim was one of my first advisors. The founder and CEO of Clutter.com, Ari Mir, was one of our, my second advisors. He really helped me understand the landscape of legal and startup um, and bringing those together. Um, I have a very large advisory board. I, I bring on advisors really quickly. Um, anyone who's willing to give me advice and help us advance this, I, I bring them on. It's worth it to me. And so we've used that to really help not only do this right, but as well as a lot of the partners that we have. Um, Jim was able to bring Willis. Um, we've worked with a bunch of very big name brand firms that you would all recognize um, very early on in this. And, and, and what about sort of, you know, bringing it back specifically to resilience and and not just individuals resilience but sort of the collective resilience of the team you know you were talking about the open communication and and to me that's one of the things that seems to be a you know a common theme which is the companies that are you know navigating better seem to you know if anything they over communicate right yeah um, so a a anything else in terms of the collective approach to resiliency 
Yeah, partly what you just said, Josh. We I we over communicated at the very beginning of COVID. My fault. I um, started daily kickoff meetings for the entire company every morning, and after a few weeks, I, you know, I, I cut it down to two. Um, I speak with everyone myself personally every day, and I make sure that they're the ones that need to. The other one in resilience was reminding the team nice, nicely. Now is not a time where we could bring on new staff. Uh, the world is contracting. And, and the reason I say that is because there's moments where they say, I'm really overwhelmed. There's a lot of work. Can we get someone else to help with this? And so the ways we manage that versus bringing on full-time hires was, you know, Upwork right now is, is there's just a, a plethora of people that are looking for work right. given the circumstances. And so the people who are willing to work for quick little jobs as independent contractors, there are plenty now. And so utilizing those to help the teams for quick projects. Uh, we brought on, so we've actually done that quite a few, quite a bit um, in the last few months to help with individualized projects to take off the weight. And also for me to show to my team that I'm willing to bring stuff to help them, um, but it's not just anything you want I'm gonna give to you, but I'm also not gonna just say no to everything, that there has to be a balance between the two. All right. Um, in terms of, um how you scope roles and um, That's a <laughs> if you're thinking if you're thinking about um, incorporating resilience and you know ability to adapt you know and in general be agile in a startup but then also you know given the current environment and uncertainty you know how, how do you factor that in when you're thinking about new roles though Man, that's a good question. It's a good question because there's so many components to it, Josh. Um, you know, I, we've had this pro forma for like the five-year pro forma. Who are we going to hire? When are we going to do it? And all the positions that uh, uh, every founder goes through this, like, oh, by this time, we're going to be this big and I'm going to hire all these people. None of that happens. Like none. Like anything you predict in terms of how many people you're going to need, it's going to be less. But we're constantly looking. And there are, there are positions we've told ourselves we want to get this, um, it would help. Um, I, I want to bring on another engineer. I want to actually expand our sales team drastically, um, but I want to do it concertedly. Um, so to me, we're at least in a place with user right now where everything is where it needs to be and our only place now is growth. Um, and so my scoping now is just getting ready for that growth. And so it's on two factors. One is, as I said earlier, we've signed some really really large partnerships and I need to make sure our, our team internally can support those customers, which we're set for right now. But as they come, we're going to have to continue to grow them. Uh, and the other is I want, to, I want more partners like that. Um, and so I want to keep going out and scouting those because the only way to to win on this is not selling it on Google ads or Facebook. It's by partnerships, at least for our, our platform. And so getting those partnerships, but then servicing the members as they come in that's how we win. And so our scope right now is on those two facets, building really robust partnerships and then making sure we service them as good as possible. And, and, and so let me ask that, and I appreciate your time and, yeah. and wrap up here shortly, but but as it pertains to partners and and, and demonstrating to them, you know, they, they, they do realize obviously inherently that you're an early stage company. So there's a, a different level of risk in partnering with you versus an organization that's been been around longer and more established, but but um, how how do you show them, um, you know, in general that 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 you sort of have the the, the chops to to move forward, but then also and again in this environment, 
um, you know, have thought through and are, are, are going to be responsible and, 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 and yet still give them the resources they need to feel like the, 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 the investment in the partnership is worthwhile. Yeah. Part of that is on contract. Um, so this is not the full answer, and it's actually the worst part of the answer, but it just came to mind, is on contract. We guarantee that to a certain amount of users, we will guarantee this many staff yep. to just service them. So that's the easy one. But the bigger, deeper one was our first year in market, you know, we launched in 2018, no partner would work with us. And rightfully so. I mean, what were we? We were a new brand just launched with a novel product that never been tried before. Why would they ever put their name behind us? And so our first year it was absolutely critical that we just succeeded. And the only way we were able to get users was word of mouth and buying Google ads and Facebook. It's the only way you can that first year. And so we had, you know, small growth that first year. I wouldn't even call it growth. We just had enough to make the product work and to show results. But that year provided validation. Um, and then from there, it was just, it was a lot, it was a big nurture campaign. Um, and then once you kind of get one very good partner that people trust. It's almost like a venture fund. You get that lead investor and all the, the yeah. followings come. Others start to come and follow. Um, and so I spent the first year really focusing on validation and credibility, knowing that that is what I would use to get the partners and then those would become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so it's been very slow. It's been diligent. Uh, we have never done, you know, the fire water type. I don't know. The, the term's not coming to me, but where you just pour money on it and just hope that you just spend like crazy and don't have it. We just it, just take our time, do this right, and this product will prove itself. I mean, to date, short of water drop in China, peer-to-peer -peer models universally in the world have failed. Um, and so we're actually a testament to we've solved it. Uh, there is no other peer-to-peer -peer model, again, short of water drop in China that was distributed through WeChat that has done what we've done. Um, and so I think we've shown that resiliency and the due diligence and that for itself provides a credibility that allows partners to come forward. All right, great. Well, I appreciate your time, Alan. Um, anything else you'd want to share before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think, you know, no, but thank you for the time, the opportunity. Um, USO has been a great um, journey for us and we're, we're excited to watch it grow. Yeah, well, congratulations on, on what you've built so far. Looking forward to hear about these partnerships and, uh, you know, see you out there on the marketplace. Thanks, Thanks right. so much. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure.